So the great philosopher of our time, Jerry Seinfeld, um, once said that apparently people's number one fear is public speaking and their number two fear is death. And so he surmises that if you're at a funeral, people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. So uh, I don't know about you guys, but public speaking is a little intimidating. In fact, I was with a group of pastors recently and somebody just threw the question out there. Do you still get nervous? And I was like, yeah, I still get nervous. I mean, I know myself. I know all the dumb things I could say. I know how I can often maybe say things backwards or get things confused. I'm always paranoid I'm going to say something backwards on the stage, you know, and say something like, you know, God really hates you, but Satan has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, I mean, it's just scary. You start to think about these things that could go wrong. And um, my kids actually reminded me of something I said about a year or two ago. I was trying, I was making a joke about being strong. I'm obviously not strong. But I was making a joke about being so strong that I could kill a man with my bare hands, right? And instead I said, I'm so strong I could kill a bare man with my hands. That's backwards, people. I don't want to kill any men, especially not any bare ones, okay? And so I just want to be careful. But I get a little bit nervous about the things that I might say, the way the things might come out, you know? And now with social media, it's even, you know, it's even worse because the last thing I need is somebody saying, oh, that guy from Living Word said Satan's got a great plan for my life, you know? So we just got to be careful with getting things backwards. And so here we are in this series called Backwards. Um, on the screen there, we have our, 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 our wonderful coded word. It's just the word backwards, backwards. And so those of you who have been lo- losing sleep on social media trying to figure that out, that's what it is. And the reason we're doing this series is because we often do things backwards. As Christians, it's like God says, hey, do things this way. And we go, no, nah, I'm going to do my own way. I'm going to do it the way I think is best. I'm going to do it my own kind of backwards way. And last week we started talking about how we struggle with this when it comes to our own attitude towards ourselves and others when it comes to sin. Often the attitude that we have when we walk into a room is everybody else's sin struggle is the biggest deal in the room. Everybody else's problems, they're the ones that are messed up. And I can tell you what's wrong with everybody in the room. Of course, I'm you know, pretty much together, but I can tell you everybody else's problems. And last week as we looked at what Jesus said, such powerful words, he said, hey, I think the attitude we're to have is that our sin struggles are the biggest deal in the room. That's always the attitude we're to have. Every room we walk into, we say, wait, my sin is a bigger deal than your sin. Man, wouldn't that change some things? Wouldn't that change the way we interact with some people? And Jesus said, hey, get the planks out of your eyes so you can take the little sawdust out of somebody else's. It's so often we think we have the sawdust in our eyes and everybody else has the planks. But we always view it that our sin is the biggest deal in the room. Now today I want to talk with you about another struggle that I think we have as Christians, and um, it has to do with the fact that often we struggle with messy people. We struggle with the people around us that have fallen and have messed up, the people that maybe haven't lived the way that they wanted to or we thought they should or God would want them to. Sometimes we really struggle with how to deal with those people, and so maybe this is the friend that had the affair, or maybe this is the coworker that's addicted to a drug or to alcohol, or maybe this is someone in your life that calls themselves a follower of Jesus, but they're so incredibly jealous, or they're so incredibly angry and unforgiving. Or maybe it's the friend that has gotten stuck in some pornography or some sexual sin, and and so often we struggle to deal well with messy people. We struggle to know how to handle all that. See, I think what Christians are kind of known for is being graceless in these situations, right? Being judgmental, being angry, and kind of being harsh toward other Christians who have fallen and who have stumbled and who have messed up. 
Lives are just messy. We, we often don't know how to relate to that. And it's backwards. The way we often deal with these situations is backwards. Many, many times this is such a big deal because so many Christians kind of just get cast aside. It's like, oh, you did that? Then you're cast aside. You're not in the, the special insider club anymore. And that's backwards. You know what else uh, is a result of this that's just, that's just terrible is that when non-Christians, when, when people who aren't followers of Jesus see Christians pushing each other under the bus, there's nothing in them that wants to say, hey, I want to join that, that club. How, how do I sign up, right? They look at that and say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. Is that really what Jesus is like? Then I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And so we, we push Christians down. We kind of beat them up while they're down. And we push, I think, people who might not be saved from ever wanting to, to even think about putting their trust in Jesus. And so this is a struggle that I think we want to straighten out today. And let me say this. I think that many of us in the room are, are actually doing the, this the right way, and we have the right heart. And I just want to encourage that in you. You know, I would say the church at large is known for really not handling this well, but I would say many of you guys really are. And I just want to encourage you, keep going. As culture continues to change, and, and guys, we're definitely becoming less and less a Christian nation, that's for sure. We have to stay good at this. Okay, And if you're struggling with this today, then I hope to encourage you a little bit and, and help us grow in this. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, but why is this important for me? I mean, this kind of sounds like a, a pastor thing to do, right? Don't, this is like a, a church thing, a pastoral thing. Like, why should I be worried about restoring somebody or helping somebody that's falling? Like, because this is about every Christian, okay? This is an all-skate. Anybody remember back when they used to have those roller skating rinks all around, right? How many of you guys ever went to Comac Roller Rink? Right? All right, a bunch of you guys. It's over where I think Target's over there or something over there now. But you'd go to the roller rink, right? And everybody would be skating. You'd put these death machines on your feet, right? I remember the big orange bumper in the front. Like, that's your braking mechanism. Like, you're going 60 and you just hit that. Like, that's not going to go bad, right? And so you're, you're there and you're having fun and everything. And then, then they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to have a race. And they get all the really fast skaters out there. And like 90% of us sat down get some nachos and watch all the fast skaters, you know. And then they did the trick skaters. I hated the trick skaters. They were so arrogant, you know. Got the backwards guys, like, doing there, you know. And you had the one guy on his one leg, you could, like, you know, like, oh, just stop, you know. And you had, like, those umpire or referee guys in the shirts out there, like, doing flips and trips, like, go to the Olympics or something. I don't even know. But, but then after that, they do a couple skate, you know, the rest of us eat nachos. But then eventually, what would they say? All right, this is an all-skate. Yeah, you know, everybody's out there. And guys, today's message, this isn't all skate. This isn't a pastor thing. This isn't a psychologist thing. This is about every follower of Jesus having a heart that looks at those who stumble and fall and mess up. And instead of casting aside, instead of pointing out, instead of being angry, instead of judging, instead of doing things God would never have wanted us to do. We, we handle things very, very differently. And so here's what I want to ask you today. Here's the question for you, all right? Who in my life has fallen that I have not treated with love? It's for every one of us to ask. Remember last week I had you take out your Mr. Rogers mirror and look in the mirror and look at you. Don't think about somebody else. Don't think about how somebody else in your life hasn't loved very well. Think about yourself. Who in your life that's fallen that you haven't treated very well, very loving? Because we need to learn how to stop that and get this Right. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, all through this series, I'm going to be apologizing to you because we want you to know that Christians haven't gotten this stuff right, and we're so sorry. And we know that's probably impacted you, and it's probably pushed you away from God. 
And maybe there have been seasons of your life where you haven't wanted anything to do with Jesus because you've had too many encounters with Christians, and that's so unfortunate. And so let me apologize to you, and let me say that I hope today you see an accurate picture of what Jesus is like and what he wants Christians to be like. So we're going to look in mainly in the book of Galatians today, okay? And we're going to look at some things that Paul said to the people who lived in this place called Galatia. Now, Paul's a great guy to talk about this because Paul was a really passionate follower of Jesus who wasn't always a really passionate follower of Jesus, right? He was pretty messed up for a long time before he put his trust in Jesus. In fact, as many of you know, he used to give his okay to Christians being killed. He would give his authorization. Go ahead, you can take a Christian's life because of what they believe in, this Jesus guy. And so he was signing off on the deaths of Christians. And so you can only imagine, think about this, you can only imagine that once he put his trust in Jesus, and now he claims to be a Christ follower, that the Christians were a little nervous about this guy, right? Wouldn't you think? This guy's a little messy, I mean, he used to be killing us. Is, this, is, he, is he for real? Is he really trying to you know, reach people for Jesus? Or is he trying to infiltrate Christianity to take more of us out? And so you can imagine, you know, when the, the apostles and disciples got together and they, they said, all right, uh, this guy Paul needs to be discipled. Who's in? Who wants to take him to Panera and talk about Jesus, help him grow? I hear he likes muffies a lot. Get him a muffie. Tell him about Jesus, right? I have a feeling it was like, no thanks, Ah, I'll take the next guy, right? And so Paul completely understood what it was like for Christians to hold him at arm's length. And kind of rightly so in the beginning, right? And so here he is talking to the Galatians about what to do with people who fall, with people who are a bit messy, with people who don't quite maybe look like everybody else in the room right now because they're struggling with something. Well, look what he says in Galatians 6 verse 1. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught at a sin, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, first of all, why does Paul even have to bring this up? Because unfortunately, because we're all imperfect, this is going to be necessary sometimes. Here we are, a bunch of Christians in the room today. And sometimes we fall. And so it's going to be necessary that we restore each other. Now, let's talk about what it means when it says, caught in a sin. You who are caught in a sin. This is not like, aha, I caught you in a sin, okay? That's not what this means. No, being caught in a sin here means being stuck or entangled in it. That's what Paul is saying here. When when somebody that you know, a brother or sister, someone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, they get themselves caught or stuck or entangled in a sin, here's how you're to deal with them. So this is somebody who's surprised by this struggle, okay? This is somebody who didn't see this coming, all right. Uh, years ago, my wife Kelly, when we were first married, worked in a law office, and it wasn't in the greatest area. And so she would drive out to the law office, and, and she'd get out of the car every day. And because she's a beautiful woman, there were guys across the street who would always be yelling inappropriate things at her in this not-so-great area of town. And so she was, you know, just kind of getting in the door, getting into work, and, and just feeling a little bit vulnerable, a little bit uncomfortable. And so one day, she gets out of the car, and again, the guys are yelling. And then she kind of just, like, had enough. And she's, she's very sweet, but she sort of just kind of like slammed her door to be like, enough, guys, you know? And then she walked away, and she was grabbed from behind. And so she turns around, ready to like try to figure out how to fight this guy off. And then she realized she'd slammed the door on her coat. And she was yanked back by her own coat. And this is what we're talking about. Surprised, a, a struggle, being entangled in a way you did not see coming. 
And so Paul says, hey, when you find a brother or sister who is surprised by a struggle and is suddenly caught and entangled and doesn't know how to get themselves out, restore that person gently. Okay, the fact that Paul even brings this up is so powerful. The fact that Paul uses this word, restores, is so powerful. I want to teach you a word today. You're going to be bilingual by the time you leave today, okay? So the Greek word for the word restore is katartizo. Everybody say katartizo, go. Good job, you're bilingual, awesome. All right, it means to restore to a former condition. Just think about how powerful that is. To restore somebody to a powerful, or, or, or I'm sorry, a former condition. This does not mean, it doesn't say kick them out, shun them, push them away. It says restore them. And I think we have this backwards sometimes. I think we like to kick somebody when they're down sometimes. Like I said last week, we ever hear about a pastor or somebody who falls, who, who gets caught in sexual sin or some kind of addiction or, right? The, the heart is not, I told you so. I knew that was coming. I knew that guy was off. It's how do we help this guy get back to what he was? How do we restore him? See, the, the Christian church is not known for that, which is so funny because isn't that what Jesus is known for? Aren't we all messy people? Don't we celebrate the grace of Jesus when, it, when it's about us? And shouldn't we champion that when it's about somebody else? And so Paul says, restore them. So their condition now may be adulterer. Restore them to their former condition, faithful. Their condition now may be hateful and unforgiving. Okay, restore them to a former condition, loving. Their condition now may be addicted. Restore them to a former condition, free. So we don't kick them out or shun them. We restore them. Now I hear some of you guys' objection, right? I'm thinking some of you guys who really know your your scripture well. You're going, but what about that guy who was sleeping with his mom? Now everybody just woke up. What? What did he say? What? He's killing another bear man with his hands? What's going on up there? Okay. Well, here's what's going on. We've got to look at it, all right? We've got to check this out. In 1 Corinthians 5, we're going to look at these verses because we've got, to, we've got to figure this out because some of you are right. You're going, wait, there was a time in Scripture where Christians actually did remove somebody from their fellowship. So let's check this out. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Paul, same writer, says to the people in Corinth, it's actually reported that there's a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's Wife. So we know this is not his actual birth mother. It's probably his stepmother, which makes it that much better. Anyway, uh, and so we know that this is an issue that is a problem. And Paul is saying, okay, this needs some attention here. And look at verse 2. He goes on. He says, and you are proud. He's saying to to the Corinthian church, you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? Now, why would Paul say this? Well, first of all, the sin's being celebrated, okay? So instead of brokenness and repentance, it's, it's celebrated not only apparently by the man, but probably by even the people in Corinth. Like, wow, look at what's going on here in some strange way. The man also isn't just harming himself. He's harming the whole church. He's misleading the whole church. Another problem here is there's no repentance. Like, apparently this guy is not only not sorry for what he's doing, he's boasting in it. And lastly, the Paul has the good of this man in mind. He's got restoration in mind. Let's look at the next part. And these are some challenging verses, but it's okay. We'll work through them. Verse 4. So when you're assembled, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Okay, now what does this mean? This is a pretty intense verse. Okay, it doesn't mean that they're all to wait 
when, you know, they're all gathered together for literal Satan to walk in the room, you know, pitchfork and horns, and, give me the sinner, right? <laughs> it's not, that's not what's going on here. They're not saying literally hand him over to Satan. They're saying this. They're saying, hand this guy over to Satan, so to speak, so that this area of the flesh, if you remember what it says there in the verse here, so that, this, this, so that his flesh may be destroyed, so that this sin might be dealt with. So in other words, the Christians here are, are, are being told, okay, here's what you're supposed to do. Don't kick this guy while he's down. The heart here is not, get out of here, you're not holy enough. The heart here is, if we sort of remove the covering of God and Christian fellowship right now, we're praying this guy will wake up. We're praying this guy will repent. We're praying this guy will decide, hey, what am I doing? Kind of like if you know the story of the prodigal son, when the son is out there eating the pig slop, and he wakes up and he goes, I gotta go back. I gotta run back and find my salvation again. And so Paul's heart here is that this man would wake up, not that he'd be shunned forever. It was actually that he'd be restored. And so we find here that this is a unique situation. Listen, it's the only place in Scripture where a church leader is told to have somebody leave the church for a season. Only place. So this is not like common practice. This is not like, hey, this is what we normally do every week, okay? And the heart is that this guy would be won over. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, guess what we find out? This plan worked. The man was removed from the fellowship for a time for the health of the church, but also for his own health. And eventually, you know what? He woke up and said, what am I doing? I miss Jesus. I miss, I miss my, my church. I miss my Christian brothers and sisters who love me enough in this difficult season to help me be restored to a former condition. And so let's jump back to Galatians 6 here. And so it says, well, let's read this again. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So remember our Greek word before? Anybody remember what it was? Say it out. What's that? Somebody in the back was like, box of pizza? Katartito, no, right? Restore to a former condition. You know what's so cool about this word? In other parts of Scripture, this word is brought up when it's talking about mending nets that have been ripped or setting a bone that's been broken or dislocated. Just think about that. Remember last week we talked about how would you take a speck of dust out of somebody's eye very gently, very carefully with a heart that something painful be made right. And the same thought here. If my son broke his leg, I would as gently as I can, as carefully and lovingly as I can, set that leg so it's going to heal, so it's going to restore, so he can be put back to his former condition. I'm not going to break it more. I'm not going to pound him when he's down. I'm not going to have a heart that he stay hurt. I have a heart that he grows and gets better. And that's the heart that you and I are to have all skate, every one of us, for every person that we know that ever struggles and stumbles and fall. Look at what it says in verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now this is a powerful word picture, because you and I, when we see that word burdens, we don't quite understand what Paul's actually saying here. Because that word burden in the Greek actually means this, a particularly oppressive temptation. So you and I are called to help each other carry particularly oppressive temptations. 
And guys, doesn't it happen in every one of us at some point in our lives? Aren't there times where every one of us have this overwhelming temptation to stay hateful and angry, to take revenge? Aren't there times in every one of our lives where maybe we're tempted sexually or with some kind of impurity? Aren't there times when we're tempted with an extreme um, pain in our heart? And so how do I handle this? Do I turn to a drug or to a pill to just numb out a little bit. Maybe if my intention isn't even to obviously become addicted to it, but, but man, I just got to take this pain and do something with it. What do I do with it? An overwhelming, oppressively, oppressive temptation. And I think so often you and I, we're carrying our oppressive temptation by ourselves, right? And often other Christians sometimes, right, we're known for looking at the person carrying this and laughing at them and putting them down and saying, how can you struggle with that? When in reality, what we're supposed to do, I'm going to go to my man Jimmy here, is we're supposed to carry this together, right? So Jimmy's supposed to come alongside me. He's supposed to help carry the load. And honestly, Jimmy's one of the best guys I know who does this in real life anyway. But we're supposed to come alongside each other and carry this together. And so now, the heart that you and I are to have is, hey, who's got a burden that they're carrying? Who's got an oppressive temptation that they're having a really hard time lifting? I'm going to go help carry that load with them. I'm going to go walk with them so that I can help restore them to a former condition. This means we run to the mess instead of away from it, right? Because we so often, we see the people holding the temptation, falling, struggling. We run away from the mess. But Paul's saying, hey, no, no, we run to the mess. We, and I love it, it says, we fulfill the law of Christ. If we, back in the end of verse 2, when we do this, when we carry each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, we're doing what Jesus has called us to do. In other words, we're we're being followers of Jesus. Then it says in verses three and four, if anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. Now this seems like an objection from what we just read, right? Then we just see we're supposed to carry each other's burdens and now it's saying carry your own load. So what's going on here? Well, my best understanding of this is Paul is saying, okay, Some of us have this huge burden, this overwhelming temptation, and some of us are just kind of carrying a load. And those of us who are just carrying a load, the daily load of life, the daily load of temptation, we should never look at the person who's carrying the burden and think, yeah, I just got my own little load here. He's got that huge burden. I'm not going to help him out. No, we carry our own load and our own temptations. But when it's this overwhelming temptation, when it's this fallenness, when it's this brokenness, no, we come alongside and we carry each other's their burdens. We're there for each other. We help restore one another to what we're supposed to be. So we're not comparing like, oh, look at my little burden or my little, my little load and look at his huge burden. No, we're constantly saying, all right, I'm going to carry this, this little load here, but if it ever turns into a burden, I need some help carrying this. And if anybody else has a burden, I'm there to help carry it for them. And so here's what I hope you're seeing today. I hope you're seeing that true Christians restore messy people. And isn't it true, like I said earlier, that every one of us, at some point or another, is messy in our lives? Every one of us falls in one way or another, even if it's not sort of like one of the big, you know, ones. I mean, some of us are so in bondage to gossip. We're so in bondage to unforgiveness. We're so in bondage to a private thing of lust. Maybe we've never even gone to pornography, but it's just a battle in our own mind. And, you know, the heart that we're to have is, who can help me through this? Who can help restore me? But also, who can I help restore? It's this beautiful balance where when I'm struggling, I have people who help 
carry my burden. And when you're struggling, I help carry your burden. And we never kick each other when we're down. And only in the most extreme case would we ever, when there's no repentance and when, the, when there's a cancer in the church ever for a season, ask someone to not walk through these doors. But it's even in that time a heart to mend that net and set that bone and the heart is to see that person put back to their former condition where they were healthy and they were strong. And so how do we respond to this? Well, as we saw, we restore people gently. Gently. That's an important word, right? So what does this mean? What does it look like to restore people gently? It means, listen, this is so important, that we go to God to deal with the anger in our hearts. That's really important. You know why? Because when someone falls, sometimes we get angry because usually it's really messy and usually other people are hurt, right? So if somebody falls, we go to God to deal with the anger in our hearts because there probably will be some anger in our hearts. But instead of taking it out on the person who's already carrying a weight, we bring that to God and say, God, all right, deal with this and help me to restore this person well. We restore them as equals, guys, right? Recognizing that we could fall just as easily as they. Like Paul said, hey, be real careful because you could struggle with the same thing, the same temptation, the same issue in your life. And so we restore them as equals, not like, oh, look at me, I'm up here, I'm walking in the Spirit, I got it all together, you're down there, you're not walking in the Spirit. No, walking in the Spirit or walking by the Spirit just means that day to day, we're walking closely to God. doesn't mean we're perfect, we still stumble. And it just is by the grace of God that we're not down there, right? And so we restore people as equals. We don't expect an overnight transformation, right? We don't expect that, hey man, you told me on Sunday, about this big sin in your life, it's Tuesday, why aren't you better yet? Well, because sometimes fallen people carrying this weight are going to struggle for a while. And, and there's brokenness, and then there's maybe some repentance, and maybe there's some anger at themselves, at somebody else, at God, at you even. Eventually, there's maybe some breakthrough and just moving forward, taking some steps. But how do you come alongside them in that time, being it for the long haul? We do it carefully. We, we, we mend the net. We reset the broken bone. We take the tiny piece of sawdust out of their eye very delicately. We carry their burdens, right? We carry their burdens with them. How do we do that? Well, we pray for them. I'm just throwing out examples here for you guys, you know? We pray for them. So instead of accuse them or judge them, we pray for them. God, so-and-so fell. I know that breaks your heart. God, I'm a little bit angry because it affected me. Help heal my heart. But God, I pray for them restore them, bring them back to what they once were. Accountability for some of us, right? It'll, some of us in the room need to be that person for somebody else where we can get a text. I got a text right as I was about to come on stage from a guy that I'm their accountability partner in some ways, and they've been real open with me about some of the struggles they've had, and I with them, and it's just, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. You're struggling? Let me help carry that weight. Let me help carry that burden with you. That's one of the ways I could practically do that. You're, you're about to look at porn again. You're about to call him or her again. You're about to pick up the pill or the drink. You're, you're ready to lose it with your spouse and scream out in anger again. All right, text me, call me. I want to be there for you. I want to help carry that burden. It's telling the truth in love, right? Having somebody, and again, this is gently, it's in love, but, but hey, here's the truth. Here's what I see. And I have some people in my life that do that for me. I know, Doug, you think that's a great idea, but here's what I see. And truth in love. Be there for them. Just as simple as be there for them, right? Um, I, had, I had a dear friend who, who fell into some sin, and, and I was a part of the process of helping restore them. And, and there were times where we would just sit 
in the room together in silence for hours. Complete silence. Just didn't want them to be alone. Just wanted them to know it was going to be all right. I, I'm, a, I'm not a great counselor. My wife is. I'm not. And so I had my, you know, I'll pray for you, and, and here's maybe some practical things we could do. And, but there were just hours we'd sit there. And I actually remember him saying at one point, man, you know you're close with somebody when you can just sit for hours in silence. Just knowing, hey, you're not alone. It's okay. I'm here for you. If you need anything, I'm here for you. So you don't have to be a pastor or a psychologist or a counselor to do this. Just be there. Just be a body in the room who loves well. And I think, guys, it means that we run to the mess instead of away from it. That we run towards somebody who's fallen. That we run towards somebody who's hurting and broken and, and carrying those big weights. And this is what Jesus did for us, right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the great news. Jesus ran toward us instead of away from us. And the amazing thing was Jesus was perfect and holy and pure. He was the last person in the world who should have run toward the mess. But he came for you and for me. And if we do, guys, if we live this out, we fulfill the law of Christ. We look like followers of Jesus. And so the saved are restored to their former condition. The broken the addicted, the adulterer, the gossip, the person who can't forgive, the person who can't let go, over time, it'll probably take a long time, is restored to their former condition. Healthy and whole and able to be used by God again. And I think that we have to have such a heart for this. I'm so tired of, of hearing about Christians who just get thrown to the wayside because they stumbled, because they got caught in a sin that they didn't even realize was anywhere near them. And so we have to be restorers. The unsaved will see this, and it will draw them. Bottom line, in all the ways that doing this backwards has repelled them, seeing us do it correctly will draw people to Jesus. Wait, wait, he knows what you did? And he's still taking you out to lunch today. But she knows about your past, and you're allowed to be involved at their church? You're allowed to come? In fact, you, you help greet? What? And so this heart for restoration is going to be this transformation of people that is going to continue to take place. I mean, people in our offices and our schools will see people who fell and were beaten up, lifted by the Christians. Isn't that what it should be? Restoration. Real Christians restore messy people. And so who has fallen that you really haven't been loving very well? Who do you have a sense, and maybe they're walking around with one of these burdens? You can come alongside. You can be that person praying for them. You can be that, maybe that accountability. Maybe you could just be the body in the room who shows them they're loved. What messes do you need to run to instead of away from? And listen, if you're in the room here this morning, and you need help to be restored. That's what this is all about. We want to help restore you. We want to help you get back to that former condition where you're healthy and whole and you're not walking around on a broken leg anymore. And so if you need help, please let us know. Email us, call us, talk to us today, come up for prayer, whatever it might be. Let us know so that we can help you get back to that place where you're healthy and whole. None of us are above falling. And we all cling to the grace of Jesus who has made us what we are and who will continue to help us grow into what he wants us to be.
If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I hope you're seeing what a Christian looks like. I hope you're seeing what Jesus looks like. Like I said earlier, the only one who ran to you. The only one who came for us. If you're here today saying, oh, all religions are alike, all, all ways of believing in faith are alike. I say this all the time. Jesus is the only one who ran to the Mass. He's the only one who came for us. Everybody else stayed back and, and did what most religious people do, right? Stayed up here and kind of folded their arms and said, well, if you get better, let me know. If you get yourself right, let me know. Jesus said, no, I'm going to come to you. He gave his life on the cross for you and for me to die in our place because Jesus restores messy people. And as followers of Jesus here in the room today, we need to walk out of these doors and say, all right, true Christians restore messy people. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have modeled this so well for us, that Jesus, you are the great restorer. You are the great mender of nets, the great setter of bones, the great savior that removed our sin and removed our shame. And God, I just pray that we will be people who are in on this, that we will be a part of this, all skate, and we will make a difference in other people's lives. So please, God, help us. Forgive us as Christians forever missing out on this, forever, God, doing this backwards. God, forgive us for sometimes sitting back and letting others carry their oppressive temptations. When we ourselves have our own, don't we? God, I pray that you'd make us a church of people that carries one another's burden so well. And that, God, we would be known for how we restore. We would be known for how we love those who are broken and are messy and have fallen. And so, Jesus, help. We need you so much. If you're a Christian, would you pray about that question I asked you? Who in your life that has fallen have you not treated with love? Who have you run away from instead of run to? I think you've got to be careful. Let me just throw this out there. You've got to be careful. If they've fallen into a sin that you struggle with, you have to be careful there. Maybe you need to pray for them at a distance so you're not drawn into it yourself. But we've still got to run to those who are broken. So, so who is that in your life? Who this week can you make a difference in their life? Who can you help carry a bit of a burden this week in one way or another? And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you're hearing that Jesus ran toward the mess that you and I are and you want a savior you want forgiveness and you want to begin to walk a new way then I would encourage you to pray quietly something like this Jesus please forgive me for my sin thank you so much for dying on the cross thank you for loving me so much that you ran toward the mess that I am you gave your life in my place so God would you forgive me and would you show me how real you are and would you help me God to be the kind of person that restores other people as you restore me in your name.